All right. I know you clicked on today's episode because you, like myself, are a nerd for great cinematography. You love the way movies look. Maybe you've always wanted to be a cinematographer. Maybe you have your own still camera. Maybe you use your iPhone these days because you can shoot stuff with your iPhone now. That looks great. Uh, Maybe you are studying the visual language of cinema. Hopefully you are. Hopefully you're not just trying to create pretty images. How do you take images? How do you take a close-up, a medium shot, and a wide shot and have them tell a story? And then how do you have them tell an emotional story? How do you add subtext? How do you make these images rewatchable? How do you make them interesting to look at? There are all sorts of different ways to get nerdy about cinematography. And so today I wanted to give you guys another cinematography episode because they do so well. And I love talking to these artists, these at least today recent artists that do really great work. And yes, there's some clickbaitability with this because on today's show, we have the cinematographer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, But what you don't know is that he also shot Hawkeye. And I know a lot of you listening to the show are huge comic book Marvel nerds. So yes, I have one of the cinematographers on that has shot the new series of Hawkeye. He even gives us a little preview of what may or may not be coming, without giving anything away, of course. Um, But he has been working on a plethora of really great movies, television and commercials. Uh, He has a long standing career with Jason Reitman. The two of them have been doing movies since high school, is what he is. I think he told me it was high school. Yeah, it was high school at least high school, if not college. They were doing short films together. They grew up together through the industry. Uh, He did Juno with him. He did Up in the Air with him. It's always really fun and interesting for me to talk to uh, other pairs of filmmakers because I love that stuff. I love having relationships with solid cinematographers and great production designers, teammates, folks that you grow up with throughout this industry. It changes your language. Together, you guys develop your own language. You develop the rules that come with your own film. If you watch a Mike Petchy film, most of that language is developed by the people that I work with. David Cruda has developed a lot of my the language in my films and the stuff that you love. Uh, I love that stuff. We get nerdy about that on today's episode. Joining me today is Eric Steelberg. Like I said, Shot Ghostbusters, shot Juno, shot Eastbound and Down, one of my favorite shows on television, one of my favorite comedy shows. We talk about what that set was like. It's really great stuff. It took me a little while to make this episode happen. We had schedule conflicts. We're going back and forth, and we're recording these things over the internet. We don't actually see each other. We just hear each other, which I like. It's kind of weird. So when you start this episode, you'll hear uh, Eric just sort of start to talk the way he talks on other shows and on press tours where he starts talking about Ghostbusters and how that's really great. I eventually peel it back. (laughs) And we get into the realities behind uh, being a cinematographer. He gives great advice 
uh, to all young cinematographers listening to the show, how to put your reel together. This is something you should probably listen to, you know? So if you want to get into this business, you should listen to this. If you want to know more about what it's like to be a crew person working on sets, we talk about how hard it is to have relationships with significant others when you're doing this sort of thing. It's really great. This is a really great, uh, very textured episode. I'm so happy to have had Eric on the show, and I can't wait for you guys to get into it. But before we do, big shout out. I just want to say congratulations to our winners for the director's track suits. The photos were fantastic. I love the fact that you guys are staying involved. You guys are, are joining our contest, are part of all this stuff. I promise you that as we push into the new year, I have been banging out episodes. Past two weeks, I have been just doing episode after episode after episode. I'm trying to build a queue. So just in case, my hope, fingers fucking crossed, that I'm going to get real busy after January. So I want this show to have plenty of content so that I can adjust and try to figure out how to make this show work while doing a movie. We'll figure it out. I promise you guys that we'll stick around. Um, so I appreciate all your support and thanks for following me on Instagram at Mike Petri on Instagram or following the podcast at in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process P O D on Instagram. Hold on. My voice is hoarse. <clears throat> this is what happens when I do a whole podcast and then record the intro. Woo. Um, so I'm recording this episode on the 15th. So it's still pre-Christmas. I don't know when this is going to come out. I'm going to try to get it out before Christmas. But if it hasn't yet, um, or if it does come out before Christmas, rather, Michael, Jesus. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Hope everything's going well with you guys. We're excited. We're planning for this year. Going to have a couple meals. Going to have some get-togethers. I think we're going to do a New Year's Eve party this year gasp it's been so long since we've done a party gina and i and we are fucking amped about it so that may happen this year um so lots of great stuff i don't want to drag this intro out too long we'll get into it after the episode i'll catch you guys up on what's going on um but i know you guys are just chomping at the bit to get nerdy about cinematography so if you're tuning in to find out what the hottest new camera on the market is eh, stop listening if you're tuning in to find out whether or not that lens kit is the one that you should buy to become the next uh, great cinematographer, then maybe you should listen and have your world changed a little bit because strap yourselves in for a look into what it's like to be a cinematographer, into the stuff that they care about on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Hey, Eric. Thanks for being on the show, man. How are you? I'm great. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for taking the time, dude. I know that you probably have an insanely busy schedule these days. <laughs> Try to stay busy. <laughs> always something going on. It's been, a, it's been a busy couple months. I bet, man. Well, first, let me just say congratulations uh, on Ghostbusters. Uh, that movie uh, was awesome, and it looked fucking gorgeous. It looked like it belonged uh, in in the eighties, I, I fucking really loved uh, the way you, you brought it together for that. So, congrats, man! Thanks, thanks so much for saying it. Yeah, it was a real labor of love. I mean, it's a tossed around uh, cliche a lot, but it really was. You know, getting to work on something like that—that that, you know, to honor something uh, a movie that was so important growing up was was pretty special, particularly with all the original people. Yeah, you know, or, yeah, it's pretty crazy because you you did that with Jason, and then his dad was kicking around supposedly, so he was on set. No, too. no, he was there. He was a producer. Yeah, he oh, was wow. there throughout the whole process on set. You know, as was uh, you know Aykroyd. He was also a producer. He was always there on set, and it was pretty surreal. You know, I mean, <laughs> I had the, I've had a long relationship with Jason, obviously, in all the yeah. films, but kind of like I never. It's funny because. I never really connected Jason to my experience with Ghostbusters growing up. I always saw it as like two separate things, even though I knew his family like mm-hmm. was, you know, that was you know, part of their legacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we never did anything like that together. Um, and then he always said, I know you've heard him say this, but he's always said that, um, you know, he would never, he was never interested in doing Ghostbusters movie. And then the day he called me saying, I'm thinking of doing Ghostbusters movie. Well, first he said, I'm thinking of writing one. And then he started writing one. <laughs> and I said, oh, uh-huh, I know where this is going. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not going to direct it. I was like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> and so they wrote it. And, he, and then he said, you want to read it? I said, sure. So I went down to the office, I read it. And I said, it's amazing. It's it's absolutely amazing. And I said, it has all the, you know, all the feels of the original, um, everything mm-hmm. that, that um, made me feel good in the 80s. And um you know, growing up watching movies and um, I was like, you're, you're going to direct it, right? He's like, no, nah. I was like, yeah, 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 of course you're going to direct it because you, <laughs> you, I can tell how much you like the script and how much is personal about the script and you're never going to let anybody else direct it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then at that point it kind of, I had, I had this realization when I said, Oh my God, you know, there's an actual possibility that if he directs this, he's going to ask me to do it. And I, that was kind of overwhelming, you know, because yeah, it's like, what I, yeah, what do you what do you do with that? What do you do with <laughs> something that meant so much to you growing up? Um, you know, I mean, my you know, th- there's a lot of filmmakers my age and older who you know will talk a lot about you know cinema of the '70s and the '60s and the '50s and like film history and all this kind of stuff. I didn't go to film school, so I didn't really get exposure to like classic movies. You know, all the all the you know traditional you know, kind of art films that a lot of people talk about as inspiration. Like my inspiration was like, I grew up on like VHS in the eighties and, and mm-hmm. then blockbuster in the theaters. And so this is kind of like the, these were like this, the, the seeds and the foundation of, of my kind of film knowledge and, and, and what I grew up on and what excited me and why I got in the film business. So again, going back to like the opportunity of doing something like this was amazing and special and, and super stressful. And, um, also amazing because you just like you don't want to screw it up. Yep, and you want to pay homage and you want it to feel just like uh, the original felt when you were watching it. You know, so I had to constantly think about um, you know the things we would do, decisions we would make um, in shooting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how is this actually going to feel to an audience member? Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was crazy. Well, you, you can tell when you watch it, you can tell that you guys really were tuned into the the tone and the vibe of the original. And 
Um, even all the way down to like the special effects, even though a lot of the stuff, uh, you guys did a lot of practical stuff, but then there was a lot of CG stuff. It all seemed to blend really well with the effects from the original film. It felt, it, it felt like it belonged in the same universe and it, it was nice to, to go back there. Cause like you, I'm, we're pretty much the same age. And for me, uh, you know, Ghostbusters was one of those movies that <laughs> not only was it entertainment, but it was also sort of like defining my, myself as a person. And it, like, it's like, I'm going to go into business for myself. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work with my friends. I'm going to yeah. gonna do all that sort of stuff. So that, that movie is such a huge, it's, it, it's so ingrained in, in at least our generation, uh, in the senses of us. And so to be able to go to the theater and feel that vibe again and feel that, uh, that love for the for the uh, the visual language of Ghostbusters. Um, mm -hmm. It was really cool, man. It's really cool to see. Yeah, thanks, thanks. I'm glad. I'm glad it was received well. I mean, because you know, it was. Uh, you never know. You just never know. You, you you can hope and you can do your best, and you just never know. And audiences can be prickly, and and audiences, particularly for a movie like this, I mean, they have very high expectations. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure, for sure. And you can never guess oh. where they're going to be. Um, it, it, it's oftentimes cause I've talked to a lot of folks that have made films that have such a fan base and have such like a, it, it, it's almost like walking on eggshells because you have absolutely <laughs> no idea why someone is tuned into the original and what their specifics are for it and whether or not you're going to appeal to each and every person when you make the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we really wanted to make this, Jason really wanted to make this, you know, for the fans. He kept saying, you know, I want to make this, give it back to the fans and, and the whole bit, but, but what he you know would leave out is that you know we were also the fans you know so it's like we were making it for ourselves too and just hoping that you know our 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 fandom you know aligned with the fandom of you know the 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 ghostbusters fans at large yeah well like i said i think you guys did it um one thing that i love to talk about on this show uh being a director myself and and being a cinematographer at one point and i have a relationship a really great relationship with my current cinematographer is that relationship between directors and cinematographers and you and jason have known each other for years how did you guys initially meet we met when i was helping some friends and we were teenagers one summer um it's probably 92 or 93 I had, some, I had two friends who were doing a USC uh, summer film class. Okay. And um, we were making a short film at the director's high school here in uh, LA. Uh -huh. And uh, during that summer, uh, over a weekend, we, we were shooting in a classroom. And in the classroom next door, uh, Jason Reitman was making a stop motion Lego movie on Super 8. And Jason and the, my, the director I was working with, um, who I had grown up with uh, also knew each other. And uh, he said, Hey, Jason, come over. We need more kids for our short film, more people, more actors. <laughs> and he said, sure. And he, Jason came over and he hung out and was an actor on, on our short film. And, um, and I got to know Jason. I was introduced to him. We hung out and uh, it kind of went from there. That was our first uh, meeting. And then Jason, after that, uh, continued to do short films on his own. And he, after meeting me said, Hey, or asked my friend, um, Hey, do you think Eric would want to, you know, continue to shoot short films? Would you, would you help me out? He said, yeah, go give him a call. So he called me and he said, Hey, would you help me out in, on some short films? And this is by this time we were all kind of college age. And, um, 
you know, the, the time in our lives where we just say yes to everything before even hearing what is being asked. <laughs> and, um, but it yeah. was great fun. And so Jason asked me to shoot some short films. And, and the first one, he, uh, I think it was the first one we did together. I was a, um, the first, uh, so I should rephrase. He asked me to work on a short film. Um, he, his first short film was, he had hired a, uh, a DP, um, an older DP to do it, but he needed, um, you know, he needed crew and the DP didn't know anybody who would work on a film that small. So he, Jason asked if I would be the first AC. So I said, sure. And it's super 16. And, um, you know, I wasn't particularly great at pulling focus. I knew how to do it. I knew the concept of it and I knew how to thread a camera, but I didn't, you know, I don't know how good I was at it. I think I could do the job, but anyway, so, uh, and you know, of course there's no video assist or anything like this at this time. Um, or, you know, nothing really good on a 16 millimeter camera. Uh, and it was a Panavision 16 millimeter camera too, which is, it's pretty tricky camera to, 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 um, oh, use yeah. and operate. Oh yeah. 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 Anyway. Sure. So I was a first AC, uh, turns out, you know, the film was in focus, which was, which was great. And, um, <laughs> uh, Jason wanted to do some reshoots on that short film and the original DP wasn't available. So Jason asked if I would come do the reshoots that he was going to spend a, a day shooting at Panavision in Hollywood. Wild. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And so I came and we did, uh, which was mostly inserts and a couple of like cutaway shots. And I went and did it and we had a great time. And then uh, every short film after that, he asked me to do, which was, I don't know, many over the course of, you know, the years before we did features. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I would start doing short films with them and, and um, the short films got attention and they started directing commercials and I started doing commercials with him and then we got agents and you know, the whole thing just kind of snowballed. Suddenly we had a commercial career, which was more just like more short films, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, then we started branching off into our own feature work and everything just kind of snowballed. And then our first, first feature film together was Juno. Yeah. That's we had both done. He had done his first feature um, without me and I had done my first feature without him. Um, We, you know, we went separate ways, you know, trying to get our, feature careers off the ground, you know, as you know, getting your first feature job can be, even though now in hindsight, it seems like so small, but back then it's like getting a feature is such a big thing. Yeah, for and, sure. You know, you got to have a, a body of work for producers, you know, or bond companies willing to take a chance on you. And I just, I didn't have that. So I, I had to go find my own, you know, really small independent film. Um, and I actually found two small features, you know, uh, or maybe three. I mean, I'm talking $200,000 or less. Yeah. yeah. Then, you know, on 16 millimeter, but you know, one of them did really well in one Sundance. And, um, you know, that gave me a little bit of uh, cred so that when Juno came along, he could, he could hire me and go to bat for me with the studio. Yeah. No, that's um, great. That's great. And then it's just, yeah, and it's just snowballed from there. It's, it's kind of like in hindsight, it seems very fast and rapid. Um, but I remember during it, it seemed like it was just, we were just plodding along, probably because we got started so early, you know, mm-hmm. short films when you're a teenager in high school is, you know, we're basically, we're doing what a lot of film school graduates or, you know, film school, um, people advanced in film school are, are doing. So yeah, yeah. we had a little bit of a, a little bit of a head start in that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, and getting your first feature off the ground is such a fucking long, long, long process for a lot of people. And so, 
um, it makes sense that you, you know, you have to take whatever you can to, to get that credential because I found this for years of doing commercials and, and short films and stuff. When it's time to do the feature film, it's just like, okay, so you haven't directed before. And it's like, oh, right, mm -hmm. right. No, no, no. I haven't done a feature before, but it doesn't mean I haven't been directing right. for, you know, 20 years. Um, it's fascinating stuff, man. How did you, why cinematography? Why did you decide that, uh, that was the angle? Did you ever want to be a director? Or did you always want to be a shooter? Uh, well, I was a camera nerd, uh, kind of my whole life. My, my parents liked, uh, had, you know, Nikons growing up and, uh, had, you know, a bunch of few, few cameras and mm -hmm. everybody had back then had, you know, there, nobody really had point and shoots. So you, if you were into photography, you kind of had to know, uh, SLR cameras. And I thought that they were just the coolest thing, you know, like these mechanically, like, like a watch, but it takes pictures, you know, these beautiful mechanical yeah. Um, yeah. devices. And, um, I loved playing my parents' cameras. I loved watching them take pictures. I just fell in love with still photography. When I was in seventh grade, I took a still photography and darkroom class in my uh, junior high. Yeah. And, um, in high school, me and some friends started a film program at my uh, private high school here in uh, Calabasas. <clears throat> and, uh, I always just kind of gravitated towards, the camera while a lot of friends wanted to write and produce and direct i was just kind of like a camera nerd and um so everybody also knowing that just kind of pushed me in that direction mm -hmm. always asked me to, to do the photography or handle the camera or any of the technical stuff i was always asked to do because i just i had a knack for it and i had an interest for it and i had a light meter so you know <laughs> back then they're like oh he's got a light meter okay he'll shoot it you know <laughs> it didn't even really matter what i wanted it was kind of like okay you're gonna do this bring your light meter yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, as far as directing, I, no, not really. I, there's, I mean, you have to, you know, I feel like as a DP, we do, there's a, there's a level of directing, just like there's a level of editing in what we do. And you can't really for sure be a good or effective DP without understanding really well directing in the process or understanding, um, and you may even having participated in editing. Mm -hmm. Editing is those, so huge. I mean, those, yeah. if you, if, I mean, if you work in a bubble, which you, you can't, or you shouldn't, um, independent of, of those two positions, you're just not going to, you're not going to do good work Yeah. because the, the DP, the director and the editor, I mean, those are, those are like the storytelling positions, right? Mm -hmm. If any one of those doesn't exist or fails, you've got no story. So we all, complement each other and you really have to know those other jobs and so directing i mean my interest in it is in so much as it serves the shooting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know yeah. but would i would i want that responsibility no i mean i'd rather i'd rather <laughs> instead of directing actors i would rather do you know handle the imagery and, yeah and do it that way um yeah no that's, that's just that's just how i think you know that makes sense, man. And, and you bring up really good points. There's a lot of young cinematographers and, and uh, people that want to become cinematographers that listen to the show. And I'm consistently telling them, like, if you have a friend that is in the edit room, go sit in the edit room. Go watch the process. Go watch, like, how that footage is used. That shot that you spent countless hours making sure that the spectral highlights look great in the background, how that affects the rest of the scene and whether or not you're able to get your coverage and you really have to wrap your head around the entire production when you are shooting. Cause I think so many folks that uh, get into the world, of cinematography get lost by the, you get really stuck on the toys and the technique sometimes, and they mm -hmm. forget about the larger picture. 
And I think that it's important that you know how it's all going to come together, how it all fits together, and the importance of of what shots to spend the most time on and what shots are just coverage shots. Does that make sense? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what camera, what resolution, what lenses, the anamorphic, spherical, you know, red, large format, none of it matters. Like, you know, yeah. look, I, I like cameras and it's fun, but none of it matters. It's not going to do anything for you unless you know how to tell a story. Um, and I would say the same thing. And I have said the same thing to, to young, uh, you know, up and coming filmmaker or people who are interested in getting into filmmaking, cinematography in particular, I'd say, you know, read books on acting or, or spend time really watching what a director does and, and, and spend time with an editor, read about editing or like watch movies for editing. Don't watch it for cinematography, but watch it for editing, watch it for directing. Um, listen to comment director commentaries. I mean, you will learn a lot that will help you with the shooting of it. And, um, and then all the other stuff will, will just come because, you know, you don't, if you don't know how to apply all those cool, you know, lenses and cameras, um, appropriately, like it's not going to matter. So you're going to shoot, you're basically going to shoot, you know, a 60 second sizzle reel of uh, montage <laughs> of really pretty shots on YouTube, but it's not going to tell anybody anything because like, who cares? Like, great. You can take a nice picture, but can you tell a story? And that's ultimately what that cinematographers needs to do, particularly in the, in the feature, um, feature world. Yeah. Well, what's, what's fascinating too, is how I, I really am fascinated with everybody's approach on prep, especially, um, you know, prepping a feature film and putting all that together. And, and a lot of folks are storyboard artists. And I was just, I just saw Jason's post on Instagram about the photo storyboards that you guys do. How long have you guys, how long <laughs> have you guys been too. doing that? Yeah. It just went up, right? Yeah. Um, it's a great process. We, we, we tried, um, you know, prior to our first features uh, in commercials, we would, um, you know, do storyboards where we'd have people do storyboards for us. And then when we did Juno um, and digital SLR cameras um, became a thing and more accessible and affordable, we started doing um, basically digital storyboards. We'd go to a location during, during prep with um, some stand-ins or, you know, or a stand-in and then use, you know, ourselves and maybe a producer or an AD, whoever was on the scowl with us. And, um, we would block out the scenes and locations, smart. um, very with, smart with people and, and, and shoot it and use those instead of storyboard because we could be in a three dimensional space, talking through it, seeing how you interact within the location, which worked well for us too, because up until, you know, very, maybe ghostbusters, even Jason hated, um, not hated, but preferred, uh, to shoot on location, did, did, wasn't ever really interested in, in building a set mm -hmm. um, if it existed at all. And so it worked really well for us being able to go to those locations and, and fo photo board. Um, and we've, we've taken it pretty far. You know, at first it was, we'll just photo board the more complicated scenes that we can't figure out. But if it's like two people sitting at a table, obviously we're not going to photo board it. And now we do pretty much the whole movie. Um, Ghostbusters is a little more tricky because there were sets that we didn't have and we would default to storyboards for certain sequences, you know, action and mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. But for, you know, most of our movies, which are very different than Ghostbusters, they've been kind of these, these, these drama slash comedies and um, the photo boardings work very, very well for us. It, you know, it just, it's just, it's just a way to kind of work through, work through things. You know, it's like when you're on set, Mm -hmm. And we're trying to figure out a difficult scene. 
you know, sometimes you just got to like walk around and look at angles and you got to like, you got to move people around, move furniture and, and just kind of like really work it out. And, um, you know, for instance, if it's a scene in like a small room, and there's a lot of people and it's a lot of pages, you know, you don't want it to make it feel stale and you don't want to be doing that on a shoot day when the clock is ticking and, yep. you know, you've got a time that the producer want, or the AD wants to wrap by and the producers are staring at you, you know, every minute goes by is a certain amount of money and prep. It's, it's much less stressful, stressful. It's much more intimate, much more private. And we can just sit there and work it out. And we do that with a camera and some stand-ins and just ourselves. And it's, and it's just a fantastic process. And it really allows us to start shifting our mind to that kind of creative place. And we're out of the office because if you're in the office, the storyboard artist, it's also weird. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially when the location's not that far. It's like, let's just go there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember there's a movie we did called Labor Day. Um, great movie. Nobody saw it. It's fine. But I, I think we did a really, really nice job. Yeah, it's, a great, it's it. a great movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, most of that movie takes place in a house. Yep, yep. And we spent... Um, I think it was like two and a half weeks in prep every day, six to seven hours a day of our prep every day. Uh, during these couple of weeks, we were in that house trying to figure out how to shoot this much of a, a movie in this house. Yeah, that makes sense. And we ended up remodeling things and trying to figure out what furniture was because you just couldn't didn't want to make it stale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's so much happening in one location and it was, it was invaluable. I mean, I don't know what we would have done without it, that process. What else is the, the thing that is also fascinating as we're talking, I'm actually looking at Jason's post right now and the differences between the initial shots that you guys were doing with the DSLR and then what they finally ended up being. And I'm fascinated by a few different techie things here. One, like there's a shot and I'm sure you don't have it in front of you, but I'll just describe it. There's a shot where uh, she's pulling the proton pack out of a wagon and you initially have a photograph, which is the way as a, as an artist, I would storyboard that shot from my mind, which is like yeah. that, you know, he's in the foreground, hands in the foreground, wagons in the background. And then I like how it evolves when you get there. Is the evolution because of the lens differences or is the evolution because you watch the blocking and you realize that the kids are shorter and you have to reach, you have to change that angle? Like, how is that evolution for you? I mean, you, I mean, you can kind of tell from the post, you know, we, we, in that case, we hired some stand-ins that were uh, closer to the height of, of the kids yep. who had been cast at that point. So we knew how tall they were. Um, w- yeah, it, the, that shot, for instance, is, is pretty different, but what the kind of shot, so what we're doing, particularly in the examples that Jason posted, is it, you can see that the kind of shot it is is what we're communicating because what yeah. we do is we print these out and then we, we assemble them on a wall, much like, you know, kind of rearrange them like we're editing them. Yep. And, um, and then we know what, what, what if it's flowing, if the, if this shot storytelling is working, it's not so much for technical reasons because you could see technically they're very different, you know, mm-hmm. but tonally and like kind of shot structure, they're identical. Yeah, for sure. So it's really about the kind of shot it is, Versus the actual specific shot. Now, of course, right. We're going to have a wagon, you know, in the, in the real, when we shot the film and wardrobe and the whole bit. And in that picture we have, you know, a, a plastic, uh, storage box, <laughs> which was actually the storage box of, of the, uh, real proton pack that Sony sent us because we wanted to do the pictures of the real proton pack. Um, and we're using that in place of a wagon. So, you know, that was just what we have. So it wasn't about being 
you know, technically accurate, but it's a, it's a two shot and it's kind of this width and it shows a little bit of ground, a certain amount of sky. And it's that background, you know, that's what we're trying to tell. Yeah. Um, no. Like which direction are we shooting? What do we want to see? Does it work? I love that. And I get what I get what you guys are setting out to do. I just love the refinement that happens. And this is something that I've learned from being on set for so, so long and going through the process myself of working off a script and putting things on boards and going, okay, what's the coverage going to be? And I think it's going to be a two shot. I think it's going to be an over the shoulder. I love the way that these things change as you start to collaborate with other folks and you bring the production designer in and then you're on set and you're like, what if we change this? And this is like a 75 millimeter and not necessarily a 35 millimeter. Mm -hmm. And what if the compression and, and all that sort of stuff, I find that to be so fucking exciting, especially after finishing a project and going back and looking at the originals and how it evolved. And what I see when I look at the before and after photos of, of this is the texture of all these other people that are around you that must have been shaping way, the way that you frame that final shot. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'll, I, I say often, I was like, the, the point of it is I never want to be exact, but I want to be specific. Yeah. Like it's over shoulder, it's a two shot, whatever. The problem is, is that if you get try to get too detail oriented in, in storyboards or previs or photo boards, you're gonna, you're going to, you're going to risk, um, you're going to risk uh, not allowing uh, spontaneous creativity and ideas when you go to shoot. And you're going to be disappointed when you go to shoot because you're not going to be getting exactly what you, you set up, right? Mm -hmm. Back then. Mm -hmm. So really it's just, it's for communication and it's just to figure out if, if your approach is working because we know we're always going to better it. So we're not going to try to make, you know, you know, beautiful, brilliant shots in the same way we do when we shoot it. You know, we're simply trying to like put together a plan of attack and saying like, these are the shots, this is the structure and we need images good enough to communicate it to everybody else. And yes, like we should, the, sh the lighting of it should be better, the lending, the compression, you know, all of it should be better when we shoot it or else <laughs> we're doing something wrong. I like, so, how, I like how yeah. modest you're being here because even the photos that you took, if those ended up being the final photos for a movie, those are still great. <laughs> so you're just being very modest here. But I, I like, I think it's fascinating to see the, the evolution of these things. And when you, when you process how long and how much energy and time goes into and money goes into making a film, you can really see the difference. And, and it's in the subtle, it's really in these subtleties. Uh, between these images that that just say that stuff it's it's just mm -hmm. i don't know i'm super you're talking to another super nerd so i'm looking at this stuff <laughs> just going like oh this is very yeah I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad he posted that i didn't know he was going to do it and um because it's a fun part of the process i actually made a comment on it that it is a very kind of sacred and intimate process that jason and i both really enjoy you know we've we've worked with various uh production teams over the years along the way and one of the first things he tells kind of a new team is you know, make sure during prep, you allow a time for Eric and I to go photo board. And yeah. if it's not a lot of time scheduled, he'll say, where's my photo boarding time? And they'll say, what? You have a couple days here. He's like, no, 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 I need weeks. Like this is, this is a major part of the process. We basically shoot the film ahead of time. And, and they'll be like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> and so, and it is something that Jason and I really like. It's, we try to keep it to as few people as possible. And, um, and like I said, it's a, it's a creatively intimate part of our process and we're really starting to try to, to figure out what we want to say, what we're trying to say. Um, you know, and oftentimes we've showed up, we've started this process and we realized, you know, this location is not, 
as good as we thought it was for what we want to do, or we can't do this, or we have new ideas that we would have never gotten without doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, uh, it was, it was for a second I saw his post and I was like, Oh my God, that's very private. Eh, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's part of the process. It's our process. But my, my first reaction was like, well, that's a really private thing between Jason and I. I can't believe he's posting that. Like, because are, it's like our, those are those images that we shoot. That's, that's our, that's like, it's almost the same as if Jason was to start publishing his very first draft of a scene, what he wrote of a script. Right. Like him putting up those, those images. That's like my very first, like very, very first attempt at trying to tell the story. Yeah. You know, on the first time I'm going to a location, maybe not the first time, but the second time I'm going to location ever. So it, it's a very rough draft compared to, you know, the end. Uh, but it's wonderful. I mean, I like, I like people seeing, you know, how it evolves because so often we see these movies and, and there are scenes that seem, you know, pretty straightforward. You don't really think about it, but having to come up with this stuff sometimes, you know, from scratch and, and yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's very, it can, it's hard, yeah. you know, yeah. and it looks easy or you don't think about it when it's done right and it's successful. Um, but it's always, you know, you know, you're not always, you know, you don't always hit a home run, but it's, uh, yeah, well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but dude, for me, it's always the simple scenes that that sneak up on me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like where you're just like, okay, so this is just a couple people sitting in in a room having a conversation together, and you, I oftentimes will be so hyper focused on the larger things and going, okay, I got to figure this thing out, and then you get into that space and you're like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like it's it's, <laughs> it's such a small little spot, and like, why does it seem so flat? And oh, it's because of this, and it, it's. It's so fascinating how the smaller, small little moments end up sometimes becoming the, the biggest conundrums. And this process, which I knew was a special thing, that's why I brought it up on the show, I felt very special just seeing it. The fact that you guys, well, the fact that <laughs> without Jason telling you that he, sh- that he shared it with the world um, is really cool because uh, the, you have to remember that I'm always shaking the theory because there's a lot of people that are like, this guy's a genius. And this person, she's a genius director. He's a genius director. It's like, no, these people just work really hard on the language of cinema. And it takes a long fucking time to do it. And if you got to go somewhere with a DSLR and, you know, uh, a travel case and some cops to make it work, then do that. Mm -hmm. And and the results show for it. It's completely Mm -hmm. obvious. And this seems like, something that is a luxury that comes with doing film. Uh, Cause you do a lot of TV stuff. You probably don't have mm-hmm. the time to do this when you're talking about TV. No, stuff. I mean, well, in, in the TV projects will reserve it for certain scenes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, or do it on like a initial scout, like a director scout or something. Um, <clears throat> and now it's like, I'm not using DSLR. I'm using, you know, an, uh, an app on the phone, but sure. it's the, the the process is the same and you know you try to do it um although in the tv again it's the pace is so different things are changing so fast you know i don't know how the scenes are different you don't even shoot what you read two weeks ago so (laughs) dude i don't know how you guys do it the 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 level of quality that is demanded that is expected for television that is uh you know trying to rival feature quality as far as the visual aspect is concerned on a fucking schedule where, that mm-hmm. you guys have where, you know, some of these shows you're banging out, you know, 50 minutes 
per episode over the course yeah. of like, you know, two or three months. And it's like, how the hell are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing 10 features at this level? Yeah, it's and, really difficult. Yeah. It's really difficult. And, you know, there's always very high expectations from the producers. And they say, oh, yeah, we want to see like a movie and movie. But, you know, it's, the reality is you know, there's there's only so much you can, you can accomplish with just with with uh, a fixed amount of time and money. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For sure. And I think that's really the, when I talk to folks about the difference between cinematography on television and the difference between cinematography on a film, it's just that the film, most of the time, generally speaking, I get in trouble for saying that, but generally speaking, films just have more prep time and you're more focused on trying to cram as much as you possibly can on that screen as far as like subtext and, and visual storytelling, as opposed to a lot of the cinematographers and directors from television, it's, it's more about like, coverage how can i get some of these set pieces to live up to the same quality that a movie would live up to but then how can we be clever with our budgets and how many scenes can we run in this warehouse <laughs> like yeah, how, right. many, how many more you know talky scenes can we do in the same bedroom that we have booked for today you know what I yeah mean? well i've been asked a couple times you know you you have a movie career why would you go do tv like it seems so limiting why would you do that to yourself i say well i like well, a, besides liking the projects and the scripts or the, or the director, um, I like doing TV because I like shifting gears and see what I can get away with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's cool. But man. I also like movies because I like seeing what I can get away with, you know, in different <laughs> ways. <laughs> so TV, I like seeing what I can, I can, I can, how I can modify or maybe simplify approaches I have, you know, with more time and money on a feature. Yep. Um, and then, whether or not I can accomplish that on a TV, if I can or I can't, I can then take that back to my future work and either improve certain things or improve approaches on my future work or be like, no, that's, you know, put my foot down about certain things. Like if this is the what you want, I know from experience that, you know, I need X amount of time or X amount of people or days or equipment, whatever. Yeah. Because I've had this experience as opposed to being like, you know, I don't know. So the more experience I can get in different situations, mm -hmm. um, smart. It just it, it, like I see it is it's all it's, it's all an upside, mm -hmm. you know. At sometimes, you know, <laughs> personal, uh, you know, personal risk to my health um, and sanity. <laughs> but uh, it, uh, you know, it I I don't regret any of it. You know, I've had some really great experiences on TV, um, small and good, you know, everything from like small network TV pilots to, you know, Marvel streaming shows. So Okay, everyone, let's take a minute. Let's take a second to talk about our sponsors. But before I do get into that, um, what do you guys, I know everybody's been Christmas shopping, right? What What are you looking to buy this year? What is the gear that you want? Um, I know quite a few folks are looking to buy computers, looking to buy a new Reddit system for the new year. They want something to run faster, more efficient for them. Um, and they've been asking about Puget. Genuinely, I am very happy and uh, impressed, not only with the Puget Systems, but also how curious you guys are about them. Truth of the matter is this, I use my Puget every day. 
I have used the Puget System for over seven years. I've been on PCs. I turned my back on the Big Macs, <laughs> on the Apples, and I went PC um, because I wanted to build a system with hardware specifically tailored for my needs. I don't care how many, like how much money someone would spend on an old Mac, I'd consistently be crashing it or yelling or screaming at it because it was restricting me in one way or another. They would basically build their systems around whatever hardware that they had made deals with that year. And so at the end of the day, those computers run efficiently because they restrict you. They keep you from going into hidden folders. They keep you from going inside of cases. They want to make sure that they're curating their hardware specifically to work all the time. Most of the time, I feel like it's specifically due to some sort of relationship or backdoor deal, but that's me speculating. What I wanted to do was get a machine that was built specifically for what I needed it for. And I wanted a company to build it for me. I've built computers in the past. I don't want to be tech support. I don't want to be reading trades on what the new motherboard does, what the new graphics cards do. I need someone that will not only build me a solid system to my specs or specs that I didn't know I needed, um, but someone that also had great customer support. I found Puget Systems. Puget Systems, go to PugetSystems.com, uh, check out their machines. They have a baseline system selection for you. Let me head there now. It's been a while since I've been to their website. Hold on. Enjoy the helicopter. Puget Systems. Typing it up right now. All right, let me just read you right off their website. It's been a while. Computers should just work. At Puget Systems, we believe that companies should be a pleasure to, that computers should be a pleasure to purchase and own. They should get your job done and not be a hindrance. See, these guys know what's up. I'm not making this shit up. Uh, see what our workstations and our experts recommend for your specific programs and your workflow. So I can click on this button, browse by software, which is pretty sweet. Then they have engineering, scientific, or content creation. Content creation, I can select, select my primary software package. So let's say that I wanna build myself an Adobe Premiere Pro. Click on that, see it's all fascinating. Then what do they have? They have three baseline systems. They have an H.264, H.265 workstation. This is interesting. With an NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3070 Ti, eight gigs. That's not bad. They have a Thunderbolt workstation, which is fascinating because now you can use Thunderbolt on PC. That's a big thing. Um, ooh, that has an AMD. Uh, that's the one I have actually. That has the AMD Ryzen 9 uh, 5950X and it has the uh, NVIDIA GeForce RTX 3080 Ti 12 gigabytes. Yes, I think this is the one that I have. Um, and then they have CPU-based Codex workstation. Whoa, that guy's a beast. Pretty cool. So you can come through, you could select uh, one of these baseline systems, and here's what I like. Right next to it, it says, not sure what you need? Tell us your situation, and one of our exports will reply to you within one business days to help configure out the right workstation for your workflow. Can you imagine if you could do that with other companies, right? So they have price tags here for this stuff uh, to get you started, but you can write to them directly to find out the system that works for you. These guys care about us as creators. They really do. It is a, it is a business, family run business. Um, 
at a smaller company compared to the other places. So you definitely are known when you work and you buy from Puget Systems. So head on over there, head on over to PugetSystems.com and surf around on their website. Um, also supporting the show, our friends over at Black Magic Design. So if you go to blackmagicdesign.com uh, and there's all sorts of little goodies for all the filmmakers listening to the show, things that you've always wanted, things that you're asking Santa for for Christmas. <laughs> and I can't say enough really great things about my Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera Pro 6K camera. I love it. I love everything about it. I love my EVF. I love the flip out back screen. I even have the pocket camera battery grip, which allows me to put more batteries in the unit. Um, and I love the fact that I could shoot 6K and import it directly into my current Premiere workflow and run it real time. You know who else loves it? My landscaper. He's also here for Christmas today with his fucking leaf blower, which is great. Um, so head on over to Blackmagic and check it all out. And if you're not in the camera department, which I know most of you are listening to this episode, you might be into the color department. So check out their DaVinci Resolve and their Fusion software and their setups for it. They have their, wow, some of their keyboards are pretty awesome. I need a new keyboard. They have an editor keyboard, which is pretty sweet. And then they have their panels for color. They have their mini panel, which is pretty affordable. Holy shit, their DaVinci Resolve Advanced Panel. Good Lord. I guess colorists, I guess if you're playing as a real deal colorist, that's the board you want. Jesus, the price tag on that. Anyway, head on over to blackmagicdesign.com and check it out. You'll be spending a lot of your family Christmas checks on that website. Guarantee it. Uh, also supporting the show are friends over at ETC. Many of you cinematographers are listening to the show. You guys are always obsessed with new lighting rigs, new lighting fixtures, new LED tubes, but are you using ETC's products? Now, maybe you have in the past used their Source 4 profiles on set. <laughs> it's great. I feel like he just turned on the leaf blower. Is that our landlord or is that the landscaper? He's just running it right outside the window. <sighs> anyway, uh, a lot of us in the film industry have been using the iconic Source 4 profiles on set. These are the spotlights I talk about on every ad read. ETC, the maker of the Source 4, has been working hard in recent years to give us incredible new fi fixtures specifically for use with cameras. I have one of their FOS Fresnels and one of the most eye-catching aspects of this line of features is the color mix. Their Luster X8 array includes deep red emit emitters, which not only open, oh my God, I can't read today with this leaf floor, not only open more color mixing options than you've ever get with a traditional four color studio fixture, but they also lead to richer, more natural beam of light at any color point that you use. Um, let me read some new stuff about this. The user interface. Uh, I've definitely had some time to try out the FOS line of studio fixtures from ETCs. And one of the features that I've really been enjoying is the control interface. He's even closer now. He's like right outside the window. Sorry, ETC. One of the features that I have really enjoyed is the control interface. We get right on the fixture itself. The four backlit encode, I'm sorry, the four backlit encoders 
change colors to match the attributes being controlled on the screen. So it's easy to navigate through the menu. It's a fucking great rig. This has been a terrible review ETC because I've been so distracted by our leaf blower pal, which I'm sure also has a really great interface as well. I assume that his new leaf blower has uh, not only GPS technology, but it has tracking software in it, which will definitely tell him exactly when Mike is recording his podcast. And then the leaf blower itself will turn itself on automatically and probably send him a text to pick it up and then show him on his tracking software GPS exactly what room I'm recording the podcast in and then run the fucking leaf blower right outside the window. So very excited about that one as well. <laughs> All right. Um, who else am I forgetting on the show? Oh my God. Oh, I've got a bunch of really great new sponsors on the way for the new year. I'm very excited about Jambox. Jambox is coming. They're going to be a huge sponsor for us. So if you're an editor and you're looking for uh, stock music, uh, you know what a fucking nightmare that is. And these guys have some of the best stock music, some of the best options for uh, royalty-free tracks and sound effects on the marketplace. Brace yourself because I am about to do a bunch of Jambox stuff as we cross into January. Uh, a bunch of really great new sponsors coming to the show. And the only reason we're getting sponsors on this podcast is because of you, the listeners. You've been telling your friends. The numbers are up. You guys are reposting our graphics. I am just so happy to have you guys with the show. So please do me a favor for Christmas. Brag about it on your social media accounts. Tell everybody that you are one of the first to listen to In Love With The Process and that you're excited about this coming year. There it is. All right, let's get back to the show. One of the things on your credit list, one of the shows I was one of my favorite shows. I didn't realize that you were, that you worked on it, but Eastbound and Down, you did a bunch of Eastbound <laughs> and Down. What yeah, was the, the only time I've, I've actually done a done a season? Uh, <laughs> every other time, I've only I've stuck stuck to pilots. Well, that's not true. Other other than my recent foray with the um, Hawkeye and Marvel, but yeah, yeah, I did a season of Eastbound and Down. What was that set like? That must have been a completely different scenario because you're dealing with comedians, and I'm sure that there's a lot of improv that was happening, and you must have to think about shooting. Oh, every scene. Every scene's improv. <laughs> I mean, there's a script, uh-huh. and they know what they want to get, and the guys, you know, uh, Danny is one of the writers, so they know what the scene's supposed to be, and then they just they make it better. They just plus themselves, and things come up, you know, much like in, in cinematography and directing, things come up when you start to shoot they get ideas when we're shooting, you know, either from like extras or the set or, or whatever, or other scenes they've shot. Now they've got context for a new scene and, you know, they can improve it. it I mean, I've never laughed so hard in my entire life. <laughs> I, I mean, mean I, you know, I can only maybe imagine not the best example of, of uh, good cinematography or, or my best cinematography, but it was a, it was so super fun. And I did get, learn a lot about it. Like I learned how to shoot in the tropics and, uh, uh-huh. 
<laughs> that, you know, it's really easy to get fungus in your lenses in, in the tropics. Oh, weird. And considerations weird. about shooting film in the tropics and, you know, and weather. I've never had experience with weather like I had. We shot in Puerto Rico during the summertime. Wow. So you, you're talking like a beautiful, waking up to a beautiful morning in the middle of the day. It's like a torrential downpour that would completely obliterate any stateside city, you know, and then it's, <laughs> and then it's sunny again because you're literally shooting in the jungle. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. And, and, and trying to like be upbeat when it's, you know, a hundred, hundred degrees and oh. raining. Oh man. <laughs> so but it was, I mean, it was, it was fun. It was really hard, but it was, it was, it was very fun. Yeah. The, I mean, just, I've seen some behind the scenes clips from that show and I, all I imagine if I was ever working on that show, I would be laughing like every second of the day because those guys are hysterical. Yeah, it was it was a great time. And the way I, I got that show was that um, uh, uh, Danny, uh, who had a small part in Up in the Air, <clears throat> um, told told the, the directors and producers of East Bounded Down, like, oh, I worked with uh, Eric on Up in the Air. You know, we had a really good time for the short amount of time I'd be there. Um you know, I thought the movie from what I saw looked really great. You should bring him in and talk to him. And so came in and talked to them and, you know, they had me laugh in the meeting, obviously. And, and <laughs> it seemed like a, something fun and very different than what I had been doing. You know, I basically just finished up in the air and, and another uh, comedy. And I thought, wow, this, this just sounds like very different. I was very much into trying just everything at that time, different, yeah. different types of material. And, um, yeah, and it, 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 it was a, it was a really uh, fun experience. But then after that, I I was like, I don't, I can't do, I don't think I ever want to do the grind of a of a whole season of a of a show. Yeah, because that's got to be. I've talked to a few other cinematographers that that have done that, and it's just relentless. And for some, uh, I was talking to the cinematographer of The Expanse, and he was saying a big portion of his job on TV wasn't even being on set. Most of the time when they were shooting, it was he was so busy trying to prep scenes and prep sets and prep stuff that he yeah. had to rely on a really solid camera crew and camera team because uh, mm -hmm. oftentimes he he wouldn't even be there for the shot for a lot of the yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was my um, well. So that's that that's definitely an experience I've had when I've shared like on Hawkeye when I shared the season with another cinematographer, but on Eastbound and Down I shot every episode. So yeah. I didn't even have that luxury. I was always, you know, <laughs> shooting, scouting on the way back to the hotel, scouting during lunch, you know, meetings during lunch about the next day, whatever, whatever. I didn't have, I had that luxury. And then on Hawkeye, I was able to, to have, you know, my days off were spent, you know, scouting and all that, um, prepping. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's a very hard thing. I envy the people who, who, um, you know, have decided to kind of like that's their strength and, and do that as their career. You know, I'm fortunate where I can kind of bounce back and forth and do what, um, you know, if it's appealing to me, you know, work on it. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's very hard. Very, very hard. Well, I mean, it's a, a lot of folks don't realize what a grind it is to be a working cinematographer anyways. And, and it's uh, pretty aggressive. It's pretty aggressive between, you know, running the sets, running the crew and doing your scouting and dealing with directors and then dealing with producers um, I think a lot of younger folks that want to get into the business are like, Hey, I'm really good at a camera. And it's like, man, that's just even, that's just scratching the surface of what a cinematographer does. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, what is your favorite as like, cause obviously you were a camera nerd, as you said, when you were growing up, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. that still your favorite aspect of it? Or is, is there something different now that you've spent this time doing TV and 
commercials and, and, and uh, features. Is there an aspect of cinematography that you love more than anything else? Is there a favorite uh, portion of it for you? You know, I love, I love seeing a scene cut together in it, in it, you know, using, seeing how the shots that we've kind of created out of thin air, mm-hmm. um, work together and hopefully successfully and wind up being a really great, great scene. You know, I mean, it's always like, everybody likes like, oh my God, that's a great shot. Yes. Always. There's, it's super satisfying to have like a, a great shot or like a signature shot in a scene or a movie mm-hmm. or a handful of them. But for me, seeing something that's like really successful, that has, you know, emotional impact, uh, to a movie and you know, it's, it's part of the, um, like a shot that, or a series of shots that just really works well together is, is really, really satisfying. You know, and there's some of that in Ghostbusters. Or there's some of that in all my movies, but you know, there was definitely some of that in Ghostbusters. There's definitely some of that in Hawkeye, um, Labor Day. You know, um, Juno. There's up in the air. There's some. There's some kind of standout standouts for me that that's really worked well, and that's just that just never gets old. Uh, yeah, know? dude, I get it, man. And I, when I talk to younger cinematographers and folks that are always asking, like, how should I put together my reel? And it's like. If you can put together scenes on your reel, don't just cut it together to flashy music. It, it isn't about just the sex. Oh my God, shots. I'm so glad you're saying this. I say this all the time until I'm blue in the face. Yeah, man. As it's- young DPs send me, will you take a look at my reel and give me feedback? And I go, yeah. And they send me a montage. Yeah. I'm like, do not. And look, I, I had a montage very early on and, and then I changed my reel also to like, even before I did features, I would put entire commercials on the reel. I, I, now I just stopped doing montages because I said, this like doesn't tell anything about me. And my agents would be like, no, you got to do a montage. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. Like, it's, you're not going to get as much work. And I did get as much work because it wasn't flashy. Yeah. But I, like, I just could not deal with selling myself on montage, a series of like signature or like quote unquote signature, like just beauty shots. Like, it doesn't tell you anything. Well, and I remember recently, maybe two years ago or a year ago, I don't know. Yeah. Not long ago, the last time I was talking to somebody about it, this DP um, asked me to take a look at, at their reel. And, and, and there was like a couple clips of scenes that were maybe five or six shots, but they weren't the complete scenes. Mm-hmm. And then it was music and montage, 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 and then music over dialogue, you know? And I was like, I just... I said, listen, this, your work's beautiful. As like, if I'm a director, this doesn't tell me any, like, I don't, this doesn't tell me you're a cinematographer. Exactly. This tells me you're a photographer, but like a cinematographer, show me how your photography tells a story. Exactly. In a montage with music and just whatever, that doesn't do anything for me. Exactly. Show me a scene. Show me where you put the camera. Show me how you cover a scene. Exactly. You know, show me how you light it, like mm-hmm. for effect. Mm-hmm. You know, show me something simple. Show me something more complicated. Show me how you, frankly, shoot a, like, if I was a director, I'd say, you know what, show me like I want one scene. Show me a scene that you shot at a, a dinner table with, you know, five or five to ten people and how you covered it. That'll tell me everything you ne- I need to know about a cinematographer. 100%. Kind of like, you know, when what was it Thomas Keller when he hires a new chef says, make me make me scrambled eggs or something. <laughs> make me an omelet. Very you similar. Like yeah. You take the simplest thing and see how well somebody can pull it off because it can tell you so much about somebody. and It's all storytelling. Yeah. So, yes, like. Sorry, I can ramble on about this because you just dude like, bring, it. Me, bring it, <laughs> bring it, man. Anybody's listening, stop doing montages. <laughs> Not that I have to watch them, but like I just 
just remember what cinematography is about. And a montage, a, mo a montage, it just like, it doesn't tell anybody anything. You're just trying to get through a bunch of stuff as quick as you can. Yeah. I, 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 I would go further and say that uh, you may need to have both. It's like you want to have that montage reel for like whatever ad agency or whatever producer that just doesn't give a shit about that and they just want something sexy. It's like, okay, yeah. great, send it to them. But if it's a director or anybody that is into storytelling. Yeah, um, fair point. I mean, for advertising, I think it's a whole different a whole yeah. different thing. And I don't, it's, yeah, I'll probably get in trouble for saying, but like there's not as much storytelling in advertising, right? It's just, it's more like editorial photography. Sure. It's like, it's just, it's a, it's a setup and yeah. a payoff really yeah. in a very short amount of time. So yeah, most of what I'm talking about long, people that are interested in pursuing long, long form storytelling. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I just, like we can put it this way. Like when you, when, when you get interviewed to, to join American Society of Cinematographers, you know, they want to see a reel. The reels are usually 20, 25 minutes long and it's usually scenes. So, <laughs> and that's what you're presenting to other cinematographers for membership in the American Society of Cinematographers. So like that kind of tells you, I think, how a cinematographer's work should be viewed, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's storytelling. If you went in there and showed a montage, you'd be like, it'd be a very short meeting and <laughs> <laughs> you would not get a favorable follow up. Yeah. Because um, at that point, the most important selection is, is like, what song do I use? And you're like, oh, God, man. They're like, you're totally so removed. From yeah. That, what you'd be that last one I looked at said, what do you think about the music? And I thought, I said, I think it's terrible. <laughs> I get rid of it. Yeah, man. No, I think that's that's actually the best tip of this episode. And they said they said thank you very much for your for your critique. I'm gonna think about it for a while, and then later I saw that they had posted it uh, a reel on uh, Instagram. Many months later, I'm like, oh wow, I, I wonder how what they did. Took literally none of my suggestions, and it was <laughs> it was basically the same. I think there was like different a rearrangement. There were a couple like longer clips. Yeah, and it was less it was less cutty, and there were longer clips, but but the the, the context of it was, was still there and. You know, I, they're doing very well for themselves now too. So like, you know, what do I know? You know, it's a good thing I'm not hiring cinematographers, but it drives me crazy. <laughs> well, because dude, I, I, just, I, just, I just want the attitude to be about storytelling more than anything. It's not like I actually care about what other people are doing in their reels. Yeah. It's just, I just want the attitude to, to people to know that it, it's got to be all about storytelling. And maybe, you know, like I don't have to advertise myself in this see of so many really talented cinematographers these days. So maybe that is what you need to do to stand out today. I don't know. I don't know, dude. I don't know. I, I think it's, I think what it is is we're just seeing, uh, without going too deep into the dark hole, but I, I think a, a lot of folks get hired from, it's sort of like producers go to the Walmart quote unquote of like cinematographers or of directors for commercials. And it's just sort of like, okay, so let's get down the aisle here. We have a fucking ad that we're doing that requires us to shoot sneakers. Who has shot sneakers before? And it's like, well, I've shot in like 1980s Russia. I can shoot sneakers. And it becomes this game of like hyper selection and so you're looking for like the flashiest content, the thing that's getting the most interest on social media. It's a whole weird game on who gets hired for stuff these days that I mm -hmm. feel like if your focus is storytelling and you are doing solid scenes and you are posting those things, you're going to stand out, mm -hmm. at least from a director standpoint, you're going to fucking stand out where it's just mm -hmm. like, oh shit. And I'd rather know looking at a scene where you're like, hey, guess what? 
we did the reversal of this scene three weeks later and mm -hmm. this is how it cuts together and this is how nice mm -hmm. it feels it's like those are the skills that you want to have as a partner from a director's standpoint in the trenches on the mm -hmm. set you don't want someone that is obsessed with that one shot so they can throw it into their sizzle reel and, right. and send it to somebody you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah you're, you're absolutely correct dude i think it's an important point i'm happy we brought it up on this episode yeah because it's not something that people talk about a lot and they're yeah. discussing cinematography but yeah yeah man if, um, if, if we just get one person to listen to this to reconsider how they make their reel i'd be happy me too, dude. Just one. <laughs> they probably too. won't do it, but just, you know, at least if they think about it. They'll listen to us and then we'll go to their website and they'll have, you know, the the latest weekend the track. Most epic montage. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how are you doing on time? What are we at? We're at almost two. Uh, I'm good. Uh, let me just check to see. I'm I'm prepping something right now and they the office has control of my calendar, so they keep uh, Oh, I assume that you were busy on something right now. Yeah, uh, one of those secret things you can't talk about. Okay. Um, oh, it can actually. Oh, well, I got. Uh, I can give you another fifteen minutes. All right, great. Um, yeah. So that being said, uh, so you brought up. You brought up two forty-five. Like I can go to two forty-five. Okay. All right. Well, we'll yep. we won't go too longer. No um, so you brought up Hawkeye. I just watched a lot of the Hawkeye stuff recently, and it's looking really mm -hmm. gorgeous, man. Uh, what's How's that experience been for you? Is it, I assume, because you're always reading, if you're in the industry, you're always reading about the different budgets that television shows have. Mm -hmm. I assume that Marvel at least has a little bit more of a budget for, for television stuff. Has the experience been fun? or It was fun. It was also the hardest thing I've ever worked on. Most physically demanding. I mean, a lot of six-day weeks, a lot of long hours. And, you know, when I wasn't shooting, I was you know, prepping and scouting. Oh, wow. Oh. Um, and it was during COVID. Um, very fortunate to have a job during, uh, the, or sorry, the first year of COVID, I should say. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it. I Marvel. Hear it's 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 the nicest group of people I've I've you know maybe ever met. Mm -hmm. um, everybody loves what they do. They have a lot of fun. It's very lighthearted. Um, Everybody's very appreciative of being there. It, it's just, it's a great situation. Um, it's an e evolving situation and the stories are always evolving as you're making it. Mm -hmm. So best laid plans and things you spent a lot of time on, um, you know, will change Yeah, and yeah, yeah. always for the better, but it's hard when you're, when you put a lot of effort and time into planning something to have a change. And then fortunately they have the resources to be able to cover the changes and, and you know what I'm getting at. So sure. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, it's, it's one of those, I, th I think, yes, more money is, is probably being spent than, uh, I've experienced or, or is probably maybe normal, um, on a show, although maybe, maybe more common now on these streamers as they compete with each other for these kind of more bigger, bigger, yeah. more epic, you know, feature style, um, experiences in their shows. Yeah. Which I mean, I did have a great time. It was, but it was very difficult. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, I'm glad they, they gave us what we needed to, to get it done. You know, it, it's, it was, it's about six hours of show, six episodes. So it's almost six hours of show and we did it in, you know, a hundred days. That's crazy. So that's, 
it's, it's a very fast, it was a very, very fast shooting pace, particularly with the amount of, you know, action and stunts and Marvel type stuff that, that we had in it, you know, night, night exteriors. And fortunately we shot most of it during, you know, winter and spring. So we had longer nights, <clears throat> also very cold nights. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, they, they gave us, they gave us what we needed to do the effects. We had some, we've got some, I guess the fifth episodes came out today and the sixth episode comes out next week. I did episodes one, two, and six. So my third episode is, is next week, the finale. And that's, it's got a lot in store. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's, it's huge. It's huge. Done stuff. I think there's something we did in it that's never been done in a, in a movie before in terms of like huh. um, story point and location. We do something that's pretty cool. Oh, hell yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, and there's a lot of things that I probably will never have a chance to do, um, creatively and, and, and maybe lighting wise and scope wise that I was able to do on that show. But yeah. it was, you know, it was, it was exhausting. Like there was a cost to it, you know, but, yeah. um, but the people I met, fantastic, the skill, the crew, fantastic. The production staff and team was wonderful. Um, uh, you know, and then I worked with another great uh, DP who's um, who I'd previously been friendly with, uh, James, James Whitaker on it. Mm -hmm. So we had a little bit of um, a rapport going into it, which was great. And uh, it was, you know, it was good. It was good. It was hard. Yeah. And um, probably uh, one of the more unique experiences I will have ever had, um, you know, in terms of a TV. -ish. I don't even know if I call it TV anymore with these big streaming shows. It does. It feels unfair to call it TV. Yeah. 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 It's all. Yeah. Because it is a whole different thing. When, when, when you talk about how much, how many days you had to do that much content. I get it. I get the, the pause and, you know, without going too deep into it, I understand, you know, the reasons for the strike and I understand all of that stuff because there hits a point where, you know, the gear may get cheaper. The technology may th make things quote unquote easier to use, but at the end of the day, it's still blood, sweat, and tears. At the end of the day, people, mm -hmm. people still have to get up at like four in the morning <laughs> and, you know, for you know, six weeks, yeah. you know, yeah. or drive home at four in the morning. Yeah. Oh, God forbid, you know, and then try to stay awake and all that stuff. You forget like it's man hours. And, and I think it's weird in our business because when you start in this business, you're so fucking hungry and you're like, yes, yeah. whatever I'll do. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll do this shit. Yes, I'll do 12 hours. Yes, I'll do 15 hours, 16 hours. Uh, it's all about the project. It's all about that stuff. And then that has become the norm to the point when you're, you know, like if you're sitting in a room with a producer that's pitching something and pitching a price or something, you just sort of look at them cross-eyed and you go, what the fuck? Think about the amount of time that you're promising here for the amount of money that we're promising here. Like there has to be some sort of e equilibrium for this because these are fucking people. And mm -hmm. we get a lot of credit, you, like I get a lot of credit for my work, that is the work of other people. So folks mm -hmm. will hire me and go, I love the way that looked. I love that way that is. And I go, cool, be ready to hire, you know, all those dudes that did that <laughs> mm -hmm. because they're behind me. They're the ones that are making that happen. And yeah. I'm happy that at least this year has started a bit more attention and respect towards the, the people on the ground that make these movies possible. And I guess I bring it up to you because oftentimes whenever I talk to cinematographers, I feel like they're more connected to the crew oftentimes than the producers and the directors and anybody else. Cause you guys are in the trenches together for most of mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. And it's become, you know, recently in particular with our um, unions negotiations, it, it became, um, you know, a pretty public yeah. uh, fight and outcry over the long hours and, and turnarounds. And, um, you know, and we've gotten a lot of improvements and I think it'll continue to improve as people just realize it's just, it's, it's not sustainable. It's not worth it. You know, people have got to have, be able to have their own lives and, and maintain their family, um, yeah. situation. And, and, you know, me, like many others, you know, I've, I've had relationships crumble because of, uh, the business, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's hard, you know, that's definitely not something that, that should have to happen. It's an um, inter- that's an interesting point. Do you find it difficult because you end up getting pulled out of your life for, for long mm-hmm. stints of time? Do you find it difficult yeah. to have relationships when you're a cinematographer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Relationships with uh, another person, relationship with your family, relationship with your kids. Um, it's yeah, all around. It's very, very difficult. Fortunately, the family is usually, uh, you know, kids, parents, siblings are a little more understanding than, sure. a, than a significant other. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really, really difficult. You know, we, we, we spend, you spend a lot of time becoming very close to a lot of people for a short amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, make new friends. And then like you disband and then you go on to the next thing and make, you know, another set of new friends. It's like you like you working in like multiple circuses. It's like, you know, you join a new <laughs> circus, go on the road, spend a lot of time with a lot of people. Don't see anybody else. The yeah. tour ends and you go jump on another one, you know? And it's very strange because you get very close to people when you're working with them, you know, those many hours, that many days. And sometimes you don't see them again. And it's very odd, you know, and people have, you know, different relationships on every show they're on because they just, that's who they're close with. And they move on. This next thing is, it's very strange versus like the normal say profession where you go and you work somebody someplace for years and years and years. Yeah. And you get to know people and you get close to them and you continue to be close to them because you work with them for so many years. Yeah, this is like come together very intensely for a very short amount of time, and then it's like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> it is wild, man. And it, like when I was younger, I used to always compare it to uh, like a western. It was almost like the most. It's a, one of the most romantic jobs if you want to look at it this way. It's one of the most romantic jobs ever, where it's like, okay, so we hired this guy. He's the best gunman around, and he's the one that you know drives the stagecoach. And you have these people sort of come together that are well suited for the job or oftentimes the best for the job that could be hired. And then you guys all do a gig together and you all Mm -hmm. get in the fucking trenches and it's the trenches because it's, it's all movies require so much lifting and it's, it's always glazed over when when you're about to sign the contract for a film where they're just like, yeah, this would be great. It'd be a couple of weeks. And you're like, okay, but who's going to do all this shit? And it, it, it falls back on the crew where it's like, fuck, this poor asshole has to climb these stairs with that dolly for the next three weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, you know, first on set, last to leave and he's got wife and kids at home, you know, sure. he doesn't even remember what his wife looks like at this point. Cause he's been on three mm-hmm. features back to back. So it's, right. it's fascinating, man. It's a weird world. Weird yeah. world. Yeah, but, you know, rewarding, and that's why we keep doing it. I know. It's either that or we're just, you know, we love torture. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, this has been great. I can get nerdy with you even further, but, uh, you know, we should probably wrap this up. Um, 
I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you sharing so much with the audience. Oh, it's been wonderful. And My dude, pleasure. Dude, I'm a big fan of your work. So uh, I can't wait to see what you got coming out next. No, thanks, Mike. You had a really good time. Yeah, stay tuned. It'll be a while before everything else coming out. But um, I promise you the next thing will be a lot of fun, too. What did you guys think? Another great episode in the can. Uh, I want to thank Eric again for coming on the show and sharing so much uh, and being very honest about the business. Um, and uh, I was referencing a post on Instagram on Jason Reitman's Instagram account. So that's it, at Jason Reitman. He did a post today, which is the 15th of December, which uh, showed side-by-side -side comparison of the photo storyboards that they do in the actual frames. Uh, Jason's Instagram is fucking really great. He's posting a bunch of really cool behind the scenes stills on the making of Ghostbusters and the whole process for them, which is really awesome. And then make sure you go follow Eric. So that's Eric Steelberg on Instagram as well. Um, that's where I started to communicate with him. He also shares a lot up there. It's really great to see these two guys uh, doing such wonderful work together and apart, but I just love seeing Paris growing together and becoming a filmmaking team. And uh, yeah, like I said at the beginning of the show, big thanks to everybody that uh, uh, got involved with our contest, our tracksuit contest. Two winners get two tracksuits. Uh, I'm going to try to do some more contests this year. A lot of these new sponsors that I'm teaming up with are bringing in some pretty cool stuff. It isn't just gear. I'm actually talking to some merch folks. Uh, I'm getting real nerdy about fucking pins lately. I don't know. I think it's because I'm getting nerdy about my jacket. It's cold out here in Los Angeles, and I'm not complaining. It's nowhere near as cold as wherever the fuck it is that you are, and you're bitching about your weather. Um, but uh, it's chilly here, and I love it because I can wear fucking layers. I can wear shirts. I can wear undershirts. I can wear jeans. I feel like guys look better in layers. You know, how many of you out there are dealing with your fucking gut? You know what I mean? <laughs> your editing gut. You've been sitting at the computer chair for so long. You just look hotter when you're wearing a jacket. You know. Um, but yeah, I'm pumped about my jacket. I'm pumped about patches and pins. I never thought I'd be that guy. I used to sort of chuckle and roll my eyes when I saw that stuff before, but now I'm sort of building myself that uh, rock and roll jacket that I've always wanted. And uh, I'm talking to a couple different dudes that make pins and we'll see. We'll see if we get them on the show. Um, let's see, what else is going on? Like I said, Christmas is on the way, big plans uh, for the holiday. I've got uh, Christmas dinner, which I'm putting together. Got some friends coming over for that. I have to figure out what I'm cooking. I haven't figured it out yet. Part of me wants to do a crown pork roast. I still want to do that. Um, but uh, I think we're going to do like an intimate Christmas Eve. And then we're going to potentially do a New Year's Eve party this year. And those of you who knew us from the West, from the East Coast, you know how crazy our parties were. It's been a fucking long time coming because of COVID. But I think we're ready to do it this year. Very excited. Very exciting things. 
Gene and I have been doing Christmas stuff. We actually went to a bar the other night that was Christmas themed, which was fun. Uh, they had this little thing that we had to do where they wanted us to put down on cards our little naughty. Like, what is your naughty thing that you did? And Gina and I were talking about it for quite some time because, you know, whenever there's some sort of competition, she has to be involved. So it was like we have to put together something naughty on the card. And I think we decided that uh, our naughty is kind of too naughty for a lot of people. <laughs> Don't you agree? She's giving me a look right now. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, oh, also, the other stuff, I, I don't think I'm allowed to technically talk about it, but uh, I have been editing again for Gina. She just did a shoot. I don't think I'm allowed to say with who. She's, she's nodding like I'm not supposed to. Uh, but let's just say this. I have someone in our editing timelines here at the house that you may see, you know, jumping around in a cape soon. You know, doesn't really give anything away. Could be Superman. Maybe, uh, maybe Spider-Man wears a cape. You know, could be Dracula. You never know who it is. But uh, be on the lookout. We got some cool content coming out soon. And uh, yeah, that's it. I should probably go before I say some shit that gets me in trouble with Gina. Uh, hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll catch up before the new year. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.